This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue headphones. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red headphones. You stay listening to franchise flicks. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. My name is Ted, and joining me are my co-hosts, Andy and Zach. On this podcast, we task ourselves with watching movie franchises, breaking them down, and reviewing them, including franchises we've seen and love, as well as franchises we've never seen and frankly avoided. On this episode, we're talking about the Matrix series, the movies that made a leather duster and thin sunglasses somewhat acceptable to wear in public in 1999, but more importantly, completely changed the action movie genre forever. This franchise includes 1999's The Matrix, 2003's The Matrix Reloaded, and 2003's Matrix Revolutions. So, you guys ready to talk about The Matrix? Yeah, I'm just disappointed we're not talking about the Animatrix today, but go on. Oh yeah, I forgot to exclusively say we're not talking about the Animatrix (laughs) at all. It's not canon as far as, uh, it's not on the wiki, so. Uh, But anyway. Exactly my point. (laughs) yeah (laughs) absolutely so let's start with the matrix the matrix is a movie that uh we find the main character neo he's a computer hacker and he gets wrapped up into this world that he really doesn't know anything about where uh he's realizing that the world he's living in is fake and uh, a virtual reality and he gets rescued by this character Morpheus and his team, and they're on a mission to essentially uh, stop the evil that is the Matrix and the programs that run it from within. And uh, that's pretty much, I don't know if that's a great synopsis, but that's a little tidbit I think it's, of... Uh, it's enough for folks who have some idea of what the Matrix is to get the grasp. Right. Now I'm wondering, did you guys, uh, did you guys watch these movies like it, it, all of them? Like before we before we did this? No, maybe just the first one. No, uh, the first one I definitely did, but I think I only watched it when it first came out. I guess I have like some vague memories of two, just because of the dirty underground sexy dance rave scene on Zion, but that's about it. I don't know if I saw that in a clip somewhere or in the actual movie, but I remember it somehow. That's cool. Andy, did you watch these beforehand? And only the first one. And first one I, I like kind of similar to Ted where like I remember seeing scenes. I think those are trailers that are in my mind because I remember in the second one, there's those two new characters that are introduced um, that can like do cool things that maybe we'll talk about at some point. But um, Wait, trailers trailer so these were these theatrically released i don't remember yeah. them being in theaters. oh yeah really these movies were huge uh they came the, the problem is zach they came out in the same year yeah 
Yeah. So very unusual. How and is that? I, I mean, at some point we might talk about like how these films came together and some of the the issues in the third movie. I think like, yeah, it's, it's weird because they go by so quickly. Like, normally you get a trilogy and it goes for, you know, at least six years, right? Two years, yeah. like a movie, two years. Yeah. Or even more than more than that sometimes. Uh, but with this, it was like 1999 and then 2003, 2003. Yeah, I saw the release dates, and I was thinking that's very odd to have yeah. two sequels uh, not even a year apart. It just it doesn't make any sense. But then when you watch it, and the end of two says, you know, to be concluded, you're like, okay, so maybe this is really just like one long movie. And it was. Yeah, essentially. And, uh, you know, they kind of blew their load pretty quickly with it, but, you know. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I like that terminology. <laughs> um, it, I, I think they saw the CGI in the second one, and they thought, we've got to use this same technology for the third one. We can't waste any time. Oh, I know. We can't waste any time to let it get any better, because it's at, so at its peak. Good. It's at its peak. <laughs> yeah, so what was your experience, Zach? I don't know if you uh, spoke on it. Uh, I, I, I remember seeing the first one, but I before I watched it again, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Couldn't right. tell you anything about it. Like, I probably saw it maybe even twice, but I didn't remember a lick of it. Um, yeah. So I would consider this, like, my real first watch through. I did not see the second two. I didn't even know they were in theaters. I didn't even realize that that was a thing. I thought they were, like, just B-rolls, but I figured Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fisher, Fishburne wouldn't do a you know straight to video no never so <laughs> never but they did uh i think they had their voices in the animatrix which was straight to video so fandy wants to talk about that just kidding um <laughs> <laughs> you can't talk about it yeah, who are you going to talk about it too we don't know anything not about us. it not us. well yeah you, you can do that later <laughs> all right all right Let's dig into the weird animation to get that out of the way. So, like, what was weird about it? Like, I guess opposed to, like, the movie, what was so weird about it? Uh, okay, so I was just muted there that entire time uh, when I just said it was weird as fuck, the Animatrix, and it's weird anime <laughs> shit. So it, it does a nice job of telling stories before, during um, the time frame of the Matrix, which is really cool. It adds to the story, but... That's it. And then just weird anime shit. Weird, weird, weird anime shit. So it's supplementary yeah. material yep. to make it make more sense. Is it, is it like a, like a, uh, I know you said they were short stories. Is it like a, uh, what's the Star Wars one I'm thinking of? It's like for children, it's short. Oh, uh, like a Galaxy Adventures? Galaxy of Adventure. Yeah, just like a effed up Galaxy of Adventure. Uh, yes, but longer. So the shorts are, you know, um 10 15 minutes or something like that each okay okay yeah i imagine more violent too yeah much more violent um very sexualized uh yeah, I, I yeah i i really wasn't expecting it to be so risque like the, the series the franchise, sexy you know, not, yeah like it was it yeah. was very uh movies are so sexy it's very sexy especially uh, the second one i can't wait to get into it very like steampunk like ecstasy driven <laughs> the, the whole yeah. thing like yeah. if i was on E watching this series it would be a really good time <laughs> uh, 
Leslie and I talked about this because uh, we watched the second one together, and there is definitely a time and a place for movies, and you can tell that this movie was made in that era because that's who it appealed to right if you're a target audience the demographic is like 18 to 40 year olds right Right. so like what is the cool vibe sexy thing it's like raves and shit so like that makes sense what this is appealing to as a as a cultural um cornerstone of big franchise movies yeah without a doubt it was uh it was very early 2000s absolutely uh, so do we want to get into specifically the Matrix to start off here now that we've talked a tiny bit about uh, the Animatrix as much as we will ever talk about it? <laughs> we'll um, never touch on that again. Yeah, sure. So I think you, you, you went over the, uh, the the plot details. I mean, it doesn't really get more complicated than that. Neo's right. the one, right? Yeah, I, I guess other Maybe. than the fact that uh, it, it is interesting. I do like the plot point, uh, even though it was supposed to be that I guess originally the intended purpose of the movie was going to be that the people were uh, tethered together for a neural network rather than being used as batteries. But it essentially is the same thing in the end as far as uh, machines are using people for something that they shouldn't be for nefarious reasons and uh, people are rising up to stop it. Let me tell you one thing I find interesting about that. I feel like so the, the the battery thing. So they're using humans as energy. Right. And I feel like and there's a lot of instances in this where it's like, well, the reason doesn't matter. It's where we are now that matters. It's the situation that we're in that matters. And like this comes up time and time again where even like the Agent Smiths would be like, the reason doesn't matter. Like, well, it kind of does. And I wish it would be a better reason. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. like this reason. I feel like it just doesn't make sense for it to just be used as energy. That was one of the biggest problems I had with just the the, the, the intro, you know, the Matrix. Yeah. Like, energy? Yep. Really? They couldn't find any other energy source than humans? Right. I And that actually becomes a problem later on. Sorry, Andy. No, I was just going to say, if you, you know, watch the Animatrix, um, they... <laughs> They do. They actually talk about the the whole problem more, but I think that's something to yeah, like definitely like pick apart a movie. That's something you can attack this for. Is that the this this story, this plot of the Matrix? There are some very loose threads that are like grounding this thing together. You know, the whole yeah. motivation for the machines. It's if it's their lifeblood, humans. Okay, like that's a a loose thread to hang that on. But if you take a step back and don't worry about those nitpicky details, it's like a hero's journey. Neo is the you know the one as you just referenced. Maybe is maybe isn't. That's kind of like what you're left with at the end of it. Um, it looks like he is, but he was told he wasn't. So which is it? Uh, but that's like what you're getting from this. So I I actually care less about those elements which are expanded on in the uh, uh, supplemental material, um, I really appreciate that this is a hero's journey. And when you appreciate the movie for those reasons, you don't need to worry about all of those things that get thrown at us that are maybe but weak. I do. But yeah, I, I get it. No, I, I get it. What I do. Yeah, but I kind of look at this first Matrix movie as uh, something similar to... And- I don't know if you guys are fans of these, but the Fast and Furious movies, those are kind of movies that are action for the sake of action. And this movie, for a lot of it, 
seems like it's action for the sake of action as far as uh, fist fights, gun fights, everything you can imagine as far as it, just these wild visuals for uh, combat. And I actually think that the, the plot works for this as a one-off. If The Matrix were just a one-off, you would care, I think, a lot less about humans being used as batteries, all this other stuff about Zion, about everything. If it just ended after The Matrix, I think it would have been a movie that, well, didn't make the most sense, but it's fine because it delivered in really cool areas, and I don't really need to know anything more about that. And I think, uh, as we'll get into it later, that's one of the pitfalls of this series is maybe it didn't need to get into the other parts of the story maybe this thing wasn't so fleshed out that it even meant for anything to go any further from this it probably should have just been a one-off but you guys know studios they get a little greedy they see something's uh, popular and a success and they want to cash in on that and that's what happened here Keanu, bro yeah and you know keanu and all the actors probably signed multi-film deals and uh they were stuck with it and that's fine and they did the best they could with it uh but ultimately uh i think it would have been better off as a one-off movie and i think if it were the uh matrix on its own would be remembered even better than it is and i still think as a solo movie it's remembered pretty fondly for what it brought to cinema on the whole I agree, yeah. I mean, if you take just The Matrix as an isolated movie, it's a good movie. Like, yeah. I can pick it apart from, like, a technical standpoint. Uh, but, like, the like I said, The Matrix is a movie. It was so much fun to watch. Like, I, I, I could watch that over and over again and never get sick of it. It's just, it's, it's got that, that hidden tiger dragon what's it called what's that movie crouching tiger, crouching hidden, tiger hidden, crouching hidden dragon tiger hidden dragon like that those martial arts is very kung fu based very asian martial arts based and it's action it's just energetic like the movie itself is fun but a lot of it i think it wants to be this like ethereal technical movie and it just falls a little bit short of that expectation for me. Cause it, and I wouldn't put that expectation on it if it didn't put it ex, that expectation on itself. It, it, it just right. kind of feels that way. Like it's trying to be like that and it doesn't quite meet it because of all of those, those holes and those, those little just details that don't quite make sense or don't quite add up or don't quite give me the satisfaction that I'm looking for when i'm when i'm thinking of that kind of ethereal movie or that kind of that high level overview uh movie like you know your inceptions or your you know things like that yeah uh, this does ask a lot of those questions though um throughout the movie uh like what is the nature of reality free will versus determinism that's a lot of what this movie deal with deals with and so if you can question but does it does it does it execute uh I think so. As a standalone movie, yes. Don't think about the other movies. Just think about what this is asking. You don't want to give away those answers right away. And I think the movie itself does a good job of you, like, thinking about those things. Imagining what it would be like to then live in this world. 
um, where you do know if you actually have, you know, agency over your actions. Your whole life has been pieced together as this sort of jigsaw puzzle that you have really no control over. So is that, and that's like, that's life. Like, how do we know that we're not in the matrix right now? When you ask those types of questions, that's what you can have outside of the movie. And I, and I think in that specific instance right there, the movie does a great job. I agree with that actually. Um, and I think, uh, to your point, a good example of that, like that self-determination, uh, Neo is told by seemingly the most powerful and wise person in this series, the Oracle, that he's not the one but then later on in the movie when he has to he just decides that i believe in myself i might not be the one but i'm gonna act like i'm the one obviously he ends up dying and then being brought back to life like a disney princess but <laughs> that aside i really do think like he almost made his own reality and his own destiny in a way by determining, well, I don't care. I If I have to be the one right now, then I'm going to be the one. And I think uh, that kind of, uh, as far as that the series is concerned, it almost seems like he changed the prophecy that he decided that he was going to be the one. And uh, that doesn't get more self-determination than that. Hmm. Yeah, so actually that's a really beautiful point there, Ted, because that is exactly what happens, not to spoil the whole point of this movie, but we if neo is in fact the one and what we learn throughout the next two movies is that everything he's done um has been done before up until we are watching the instance in this movie this iteration of this thing and what's different about this one and what's answered in the last movie in the very last you know major sequence i'll save it for when you get there but is this very question is determinism versus free will and neo the one he chooses that's the power here he decides yeah in a world where uh you can pretty much do anything you set your mind to he did all of that and more absolutely yeah i think that it, it the the overall themes can be extracted from the movie and the sequences themselves but I think again, the, it's the it's the really the technical aspect of how they get there that kind of bugs me. Again, I think the themes are there, and you can you can find them, you can extract them for sure. Uh, I think everything that you guys are talking about is there. But uh, that's the kind of like movie watcher, especially when I'm watching like intently and for a reason. I want to flush out everything in the movie, and and a couple of those those themes fall short for me. I do think that the theme of you know if, if you set your mind to it you can do it is there but kind of in a in an interesting way right i think the the oracle character is really interesting in, in a really pivotal character to that theme in particular you know we, even the 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 some of the lines that she talks about was like well i told you you were gonna do it so would you have done it if i didn't say that Right? It's that thought of free will. Yeah. Is it determined or is it, is it, are you making it happen because you know it's going to happen? Or is it, is it you who's going to, to, to make it happen because you want it to happen? Where is that line? And I don't know that the movie actually answers that question. I feel like the movie does point towards, well, you're, you, you're kind of, you're destined to do it. The franchise, I guess. 
the franchise yeah uh, the movie itself i think leaves it an open-ended question um it yeah. doesn't it gives the answer and i think that's like the point of it because it was originally i think as ted addressed earlier like maybe not intended to become a trilogy of movies that it was intended to be a, a hollywood blockbuster movie that would make some money and then oh yeah hollywood wants to do a cash grab and make more as a self-contained story when it asks it has you as the audience ask those sorts of questions and it doesn't give you a direct answer, just like Inception in the very end scene of Inception leaves you sure. hanging there. This movie kind of does the same thing. It leads you down a path to get you to think one way, think this way, get a discussion, a debate going amongst your friends as you move, leave the theater. And then in the later movies, we do get those answers um, to maybe our liking or not. So you think so so i guess that's my question to you so you think it definitively answers in the la in the latter two movies i know i'm jumping ahead here but you think it it definitively answers the question of fate versus choice destiny yeah versus really yep uh in in kind of like a weird way <laughs> um and and not necessarily in a good way either so i don't think like i don't personally enjoy it but it, it does answer it Okay. be interesting to get into that once we get to that final okay. movie yeah for yeah, sure. yeah i i, I would yeah. like to talk about that so all right the yeah. first movie we we kind of like talked like the the description of it some of the themes in it like uh, all right let's talk about the fun stuff yeah the fun stuff like Fuck yeah dude action in this movie is fucking cool dude it, it still is. holds up doesn't it yeah absolutely uh, I'd say the only things that don't really hold up are just some CGI things here and there as far as like uh, some like electricity and uh, yeah. at the end when Agent Smith blows up uh, when he kind of just uh, fragments and blows up that doesn't really hold up but bullet time fucking holds up the choreography yeah. is incredible in this movie even when you take out slow motion in 360 uh motion of a camera to see the entirety of the character in the room it just again revolutionary stuff for film at the time in 1999 and like everything tried to copy this going forward whether it was parodying it or just trying to cash in on it everything was copying it and they were cashing in on it in one way or another it didn't really matter if you're making fun of it or not the reference was there it's such a pop culture icon it, it's just it still holds up and it's incredible and i said this before we uh started uh streaming here it's the closest and i'm a huge dragon ball z fan it's the closest i will ever get i think to like flying through the air punches hitting and going at full speed dragon ball z type fight and it's just awesome i love it and throw guns in there too incredible dude i love the kung fu crouching tiger hidden dragon like that that whole like asian influence on the fight sequences is just awesome like that will always be just a you don't see really see it like even in, like the john wick stuff it's more like i don't know it just it's not quite the same as like that that asian flair kung fu style fighting i just love it i just love that the, that yeah. type of action but beyond that like the, like you were saying the cgi is super cool like not not all of it like i know i don't want to jump ahead too much but like this i feel like the they they stayed within their limits in the matrix right 
everything in that movie pretty much holds up today whereas the I guess the technological CGI in the, the latter two movies is not good. I didn't like it. Yeah, it goes like too it. far for what was capable then. Actually, I had that same thought, Zach, uh, watching the yeah. third one. I was like, wow, a lot of this, if it was done today, would be badass. But right. this was in 2003. They tried too much. They tried too much yeah. with the technological limits that they had. But I think that, you know, given that in the first movie, The Matrix, which is the one we're talking about, they did a great job at staying within their limits and making it look as good as what they could do, possibly could. Uh, and so I, I thought they did an awesome job with all of that. I mean, it was, it was so good. The, 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 the camera pans, the, the slow-mo, the use of slow-mo is amazing. I, I couldn't get enough of it until the second and third movie. <laughs> Which we'll get yeah. into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some other things at play there for sure. <laughs> yeah. Does, you guys mentioned your favorite, like, action sequence already, like the bullet time. Ted, did you say that? Is that what you said? Uh... I mean, I wouldn't say it's necessarily my favorite, but just uh, it's so iconic. Uh, you know, they call that doing the Matrix, uh, mm -hmm. essentially, right. like the, right. for the layman. But it, it's really bullet time, and that, that's influenced so much in film going forward. I don't know if I have a favorite per se, but I, I definitely agree with Zach as far as the uh, Asian flair to the fighting. Just like how nimble Asian martial art is when it's being executed correctly on top of all this craziness going on in this movie as well with the gun fighting and the slow-mo and everything like it just works so well together and uh i don't know if i could pick one scene uh in particular over the rest but i think just overall it works so well and you can show that to people 50 years from now and uh that aspect of it is still gonna hold up yeah my favorite sequence with cgi and kind of like the martial arts stuff is when neo and morpheus are doing the training sequence um or like the training cool. session i think it's just like the idea you start with the the tabla rasa wow. the blank slate slate and then uh, all of a sudden like things appear then you get into like the does he go into the city first and do the whole like thing, or does that half happen after the fight? I don't I remember he the goes order. Into right. The city first, first, okay, um, to kind of give him an idea of like what the craziness is of being in the Matrix while also uh, uh, being aware of what the Matrix yes. actually is. Right, right. it's like the program with the lady with the red dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's You're it. Right. I, I just couldn't remember which happened first, going through. Uh, and then and then getting to the fight. But I like all of that because it does a couple things. It gives you your CGI like that's good CGI for this movie, how it does all of that stuff in there to like tell you about this. I think that part kind of holds up to today. Then you get to the cool fight and it's the action. It's controlled. I'm not a big fan of the the gunfighting in it um, just because it's very loud. And like for whatever reason, when I'm listening to it with my speaker, action sequences in this film are so fucking loud and dialogue is so quiet that i'm constantly having to change the volume so anytime i had to watch an action sequence in these movies it was like volume volume, volume down, down. yeah that could have right. just been because of uh poor compression from uh whoever uh generously <laughs> provided the movies to us won't say how yeah. but 
Uh, yeah, I found myself uh, having that same issue. I actually watched them uh, mostly with headphones on because I didn't want to subject uh, my wife to <laughs> a lot of... It, yeah, I mean, it, it was just suddenly blaring so i i think unless the sound engineers were terrible i think that was more uh compression but maybe we'll find out if we ever like buy a blu-ray ever i don't know i find that often actually with like action movies it happens a yeah, lot they do like it's a thing because yeah. in the theater it's like you feel it it's yeah. like in your chest you're like oh wow that was awesome but you're like watching it at home and like the walls are fucking shaking. You're like, dear God, I was just trying to hear what Neil was saying like two seconds ago. Right. Um, but oh. like I, that whole sequence, I just absolutely loved it. Uh, what? I'm going to fucking kill myself. What? What is going on? If I had listened to Trinity whisper like this. Oh, <laughs> there is a lot of Trinity whispering. Uh, this is uh, the segment of the episode where we incorporate ASMR, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, don't tell Leslie. Dude, yeah. it killed me. I <laughs> oh god, I couldn't deal with it. The whispering between Keanu Reeves and whatever her name was. I can't remember the actress right now. Oh, the one I uh, thought died. I'm blanking on it. Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann Moss, yeah. Right, right. Who Andy thought died. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which i was i was forgetting which character in the franchise died spoiler alert i was just mixing it up who was it and then the God, actress yeah. the yeah, actress the actress died no, no yes i of that character i couldn't i knew like culture um the person who plays the oracle right she oh, she died right, in between right. filming of the second and third one and I knew that, like, as a pop culture question, and I was like, Matrix, oh, is that, like, Trinity? Is she the character that's referred to? Which, can I just say as an aside, like, skipping ahead real quick, thank God they address that in some way, shape, or form, instead of just making you <laughs> assume it. that they replaced one older black lady with another older black lady and uh, making you guess the whole time if they did. <sighs> Yikes. Nobody would notice. Oh my god, yeah. That that would have been horrific. <laughs> Christ. Oh lord. Alright, so I can't wait to get into those movies because they're so bad. Um uh, so I think we, we, we can kind of touch on like the, the acting and music of this. You know, uh, so yeah. that was one thing to me that just the drama the drama of like the relationship between Trinity and Neo made me want to poke my fucking eyes out it was not good i didn't like it at all it was too much whispering and, and just like lustful talk like it was just stupid it didn't land you didn't believe in their love story that was just kind of forced upon us when <laughs> no. uh, trinity said that she was supposed to fall in love with the one come on zach we okay so we haven't had said this yet and it kind of relates to plot but i'll i think it relates in some weird ways more so this reminds me so much of Star Wars. This whole, like, as a uh, story, which we can maybe talk about more so in the, the other movies, um, where it's the case. But in this one, the romance between Neo and Trinity is forced, just like it is between Anakin and Padme. Like, I just don't buy in this movie at can all. Like, you? it just doesn't. It doesn't feel real. There are lines occasionally, so that's where the writing, I would say, is a little better in this, um, where I believe the lines are something the characters would say, but I don't believe these actors would say that to one another, if that makes sense. Because in the 
prequels, I would say it's the opposite. I don't think people would ever say this to one another in real life. And then obviously they're not going to fall in love because of that. So I think the Wachowskis did a better job than George Lucas. Yeah, a better job. But Absolutely. that's the the writing, not the. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it all relative. Still real bad. It's still real bad. I just couldn't. That was that. That was my biggest complaint. I love Lawrence Fishburne. Everything that guy does is going to yeah. be my favorite because he's just so good. He's so much fun. Him he's so hokey. Yeah, but he he makes you believe in the whole thing too. Like he he's so uh, mysterious and uh, just very smooth about everything throughout the movie. He seems to just know everything that Neo wants to know about the Matrix. Uh, and then going further into uh, the acting, talking about another actor who I thought was superb in this movie, Hugo Weaving, mm-hmm. just was incredible. He was the great stereotypical bad guy who uh, actually had some depth in this movie. I'd, I'd say more than he does uh, going forward. He kind of uh, jumps the shark a little bit as far as his character is concerned. But just the fact that a program eventually decides he wants to do his own thing that this program is so individualized that he will somehow separate himself from the pack he just does such a great job the way he delivers his lines mr anderson dude i just so iconic love it and he like refuses to acknowledge that uh neo is going by neo he just calls him mr anderson throughout the whole thing i love it he's the only one who does he's just like fuck you and everything about you to neo he is the true evil of the story and it's it's really cool. I love Hugo Weaving, and that that whole character is just badass. It's badass. He's because he's supposed to be the person who's like the. So I want to I want to make sure I have this straight. So the agent is basically the protector of the program. Is that kind of how it's laid out? Protector of the I, Matrix, essentially. They kind of yeah. make sure that nobody is going rogue. Make sure that uh, nobody who is on the outside, living in Zion, is messing with uh, the framework and the structure of the Matrix and uh, freeing anybody else. Essentially. Uh, also, they are in charge of keeping track of programs that go rogue. So there are programs and humans, right. both in the Matrix, who don't behave like they're supposed to. So Which can kind of get confusing. Yeah. I, I think that gets a little more convoluted as we go into the second and third movie when we talk about like what the differences end up being between people and programs and uh, yes, that just what where their roles are. But as far as this movie is concerned, it's pretty concrete laid out for you. Uh, you can tell who's a program, you can tell who's not, and you can tell who is a person strapped into the Matrix without uh, their knowledge. And uh, it's pretty straightforward from there. It, it seems to be just three camps of people who are still still stuck in the Matrix, people who are out of the Matrix and uh, on the side of Morpheus yeah. and his team and the rest of the people in Zion, and then the programs like Agent Smith who are out to make sure that everybody maintains the status quo and the integrity of the matrix is not compromised. Yes. Okay. That, that, that's pretty much what I thought, but you know, as, as we progressed in the story, it got a little more convoluted as to what his intent actually was not only him, but like 
he seems to be rogue from the other agents and maybe i just wasn't paying close enough attention so that that happens later on so in the other two movies in this first one he's not he is totally he is when he takes his earpiece out he he does start that in this movie uh i was kind of alluding to that as well probably like three quarters of the way through the movie is when he starts to talk about his own plans as far as uh, he wants to get out of the matrix he is sick of being there and uh, executing his code essentially and uh, wants to live with some semblance of free will and or take over the entire thing which seems to be more he says that in this movie yeah in the matrix i don't remember that it's when he's like talking to neo in the office building right Mm -hmm. early on maybe he's talking to morpheus I think he's talking to Morpheus, actually, when he has Morpheus uh, as prisoner before Neo and Trinity come and save him. I think that ends up being when he speaks about that, or maybe I'm wrong. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that scene. Okay. Yeah, it's it's all a little complicated. I, I could be wrong. I don't, yeah, you might. I think you might be right, Ted, then. I might just be confusing where uh, it starts to un- unravel in the story. I see unraveling when he's talking to Neo in the office building. He takes out his earpiece. He's like, give us some privacy. Like, that's pretty early on in the movie. And that's when you start to see the unraveling of Agent Smith. Okay. Well, this is why I was bringing up, too, is that, like, is he a part of, like, the the thing that happens in the next movie? Like, is this destined to occur? Um, where there's always like, so it's not that he is being rebellious. That's what he's programmed to do is to, um, kind of try to work against from the inside to do this thing. Is he a program just like everyone else still, even though he feels like he's doing this rebellious thing, he's not because that's what he's programmed to do. Interesting. Okay. Cause that I jumps guess- to the next movie. I think there's also a clear, like, even before everything starts unraveling, I think uh, generally amongst those programs, it seems like there's a clear hierarchy, like uh, Agent Smith is the ranking officer, so to speak, and probably uh, how it would go as far as uh, computer code is concerned, too. I would imagine uh, that there are things that execute in certain ways as opposed to uh, other ones that are similar to them. I don't know, maybe I'm getting a little too far into it, but that's how I see that part of it, uh, as far as him getting the privacy and taking out his earpiece and talking to Neo in the the conference room there. I just think, like, uh, that they try to make it weirdly as human as they can, despite the fact that they're computer programs and actually give these programs rank, even though, like, if you break that down, it probably means nothing, because I would imagine they were just assigned rank when they were created yeah exactly they're given purpose yeah uh that is addressed in the animatrix i'll just inject that in there um i don't care but it really gets me to watch the animatrix nah yeah don't 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 waste your time <laughs> did you watch all of it did you watch all of it yeah you watched all of it really? yeah i watched it like a long time ago i was like i was an anime kid for a little while there's like an anime phase where i was into it and the animatrix was like Oh, this is super cool. Oh, so you watched it prior to what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. And then I did like a speed watch of it. Like I, I fast forward through the first one because I really don't care for it. And then like um, the second one's really, tri- really trippy. Uh, third one, that's with the 
weird anime thing i skip over that one uh then there's like i i really like the the one later on where it's like this uh, i won't get into it but it, like it ends pretty well some cool stuff okay 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 all right so listen guys we we've talked about uh the first movie now for a while let's get into re- what is it reloaded is Do it the second to? one yes yeah. it's bad it's a bad movie it's and the worst i would say it's the, uh, here's the thing i think the third one makes it better i think without the third one it's a it's an atrocious movie yeah because that's why I said earlier, I felt like it was just one long movie. And I understand why they were released in the same year, because I can't also why I don't understand that they had to replace the actress in the third movie because it looked like they were filmed back to back. And they, it almost felt she like she died during shooting. I'm pretty sure is what happened. During shooting. Really? Yeah, I think oh, that's yeah. what it was. I oh. could. The, I'm going to look that up right now, actually, to see what that was about, because I remember that being like a thing, like a, like of the zeitgeist, right? The, of our time, a headline um, that the Oracle Matrix. Is this even a, a headline? Yeah. That's how bad it was. She couldn't even wait until the final movie. <laughs> it's so fucked up. <laughs> well, I had to say it. I thought about not saying it, but I did it anyway. So here I am. I love it. We can edit that out, right? No. It's no. staying in, brother. Well, you know what? You're probably going to clip that and make that the intro, so can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I definitely am. That's yeah. going in the intro. Well, while Andy's looking that up, why don't we get into uh, some of the details for this movie? So we pick yep. up where we left off with the last movie. You confirmed it, Andy? Yeah, she died uh, before they during even shooting? filmed. Before they even filmed. Not like during what they were shooting, but before, before they, they filmed. filmed. How, yeah. Before they filmed, the, what, the third one? Yeah. They probably took a break in between. That's probably in like the actor's yeah. contract where there was like th- that they they need some kind of break. Um, And they do other movies, too. So I'm it sure was that... Just so, it was just so con- er, sequential that it seemed like they would have filmed it back to back. But... Unfortunate. Anyway, we kind of pick up where we left off with the last movie. Neo is seemingly the one as far as uh, the way things ended there. I have to push back on we picked up where we left off. Neo is now a fucking full-fledged Jedi who can do whatever he wants. You're right. He can fly. He can pretty much do whatever he wants, and uh, which kind of causes some problems with uh, some of the things that happen in this movie and uh, him kind of being a little bit overpowered. And it seems like uh, the writers tried to find ways to keep him out of scenes just so he couldn't end them by being super OP. But as far as like chronologically, I guess, it seems like it takes over uh, pretty close to where we left off as far as uh, where the first one ended and then we're kind of transitioning into this is the first time we're going to see Zion ever and it's seemingly uh, Neo's first time. So you get to Zion. There's a lot of political talk, kind of going back to Andy's point, talking about the prequels of Mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars. Very reminiscent of those movies as far as uh, about a half an hour worth of just drivel 
as far as political talk that we don't really care for position yeah keep in mind as well these are made at the same exact time these movies are made at the same exact time that was a very common thing to do in movies around 1999 and the early 2000s uh it was very kind of that 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 punk political message in the early 2000s so anyway keep going yeah, but uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we, we have a little bit of that. Definitely exposition, like Andy said, and then we kind of get into there's a little bit of a subplot where Agent Smith is back for some reason somehow. Doesn't really get explained all that much, other than he says uh, Neo set him free when he killed him. Which don't really know what that means but i guess we'll get into that um and he's infecting other programs and uh eventually he actually infects a human within the matrix which is really interesting uh a human that lives in zion as well not just any person uh so that's a really interesting part of that i actually enjoyed that part of it but so that's a little subplot going on and uh he kind of shows up and then disappears for about half the movie and comes back toward the end uh there's a weird subplot with this frenchman who's a program who has a wife program and that doesn't really make much sense that kind of brings me to my point earlier about like where's the line that we draw between what humans are in the matrix and what programs are in the matrix and uh these programs are seemingly in love and uh the the wife of the frenchman program wants neo to kiss her make her feel something for the first time in a long time which again very odd talking about programs and then uh i i guess skipping ahead we kind of get to uh the framework of the matrix and uh the creator of it who's the architect and all he kind of does is uh he's supposed to talk exposition wise but he just uh uses big words for the sake of using big words it seems like and doesn't really explain much and that's kind of where we leave off in that movie i mean let me know if i missed anything guys i'm kind of just spitballing about the plot summation here but uh we can get into specifics here as well i think one of the big things that uh needs to be mentioned is that you know now not only do we have the one ship of people that have been pulled from their from the matrix we have a whole city basically which is zion right of the people who have been pulled from the matrix and and brought into the real world of machines or people Uh, who were born because there are some people there who are not you know born in the matrix correct yes so anybody who is who has consciousness in the real world that is inhabited by machines uh, lives in Zion, essentially. Mm-hmm. For maybe there's more, but our story takes place in Zion. Animatrix talks about it. Oh, really? I'd be interested to hear. I, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so Zion is the kind of our our central home base. Uh, becomes a lot more important as we move through the story. But I just wanted to point that out because at the in the in the original Matrix, it was really just this one ship. But that ship has a home, and that home is Zion. Thank you, Zach. I actually appreciate you uh, filling that part in. Where they rave. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We got to get into that. 
so yeah that, that's pretty much the movie uh so let's get into uh the details like we did with the first one here so talking about the plot uh kind of a nonsensical plot it kind of just uh to me it kind of just went along a weird path uh it just seemed like a lot of times they were doing things for the sake of doing things in the movie it seemed like you know halfway through the movie uh they're told by the oracle to find the key maker who's the key maker doesn't really get explained he makes keys apparently that get into any door into it within the matrix but his significance i guess other than getting to the architect is really convoluted and uh as far as how they get there is really weird as well i, I don't know the, the plot of this movie just was everywhere for me i don't know if you guys got a better sense of where it was trying to go but it just nope. seemed like it, it had a starting point and it had an ending point and it didn't really know what to do in the middle of it there's a lot of fighting that's true yeah <laughs> well, we'll, we'll talk fighting. about that we'll talk about that when we get there okay. i do want to i do want to you know jump in on like saving some of this plot here because i agree from a writing perspective of the story not and dialogue there's some of that here with these new characters that we were introduced to but basically we had this in my opinion a nice self-contained story in the first matrix and then when we got a sequel they they cracked their knuckles and opened this shit up where we got everything we got the raves in zion we got th the things going on with the the sentinels we're seeing more of them and all these other things all like just super expands on the story maybe too much and that's probably the problem where there's so much happening especially with exposition that we <laughs> that we had just saw what zach put in the chat thank you zach totally throwing me off now um that we have to kind of like we never get a chance to catch our breath to think of like let's settle down let's ask those more deep questions about these things you're giving us a lot of answers to questions that we never asked before so like the key maker like why who's this guy like why do we care about him i think it's paid off in the end and I, I'll, I'll talk about when we get to the third movie and that's my defense of it is that some of this stuff like I don't like how it's done, but I like the intention of it. I like where what they were trying to do. Don't necessarily think the execution landed with these movies. No, execution had a lot to be desired. I think there was just, uh, you know, I, I, was it Ted? Maybe you just said there's a start point and an end point. Yeah. And the rest of the movie really seemed like filler. Like a lot mm -hmm. of it yes. seemed like filler. Uh, there were some pivotal plot points in it, but nothing really with uh, an overarching arc, right? I mean, there's no real through line through the whole thing. And it was kind of just jumbled and, and, and all over the place, and it was hard to follow. It didn't make much sense to me. Well, let me push yeah. back. There are three characters you want to pay attention to, what's going on with them. You want to pay attention to what's happening with Neo, what's happening with Mr. Smith, and what's happening with the Oracle. Those are the three important characters to play. And the Oracle, I would say like her ancillary character that you need to pay attention to, which is introduced towards the end of the film, is the Architect. So think of them as kind of like um, two sides of the same coin. Same thing with like 
Neo and Mr. Smith. You can think of them as two sides of the same coin, where those are the stories that you want to pay attention to. Everything else that's happening like around it is all this lazy exposition stuff to just fill in the gaps in between like we need to care about the people in zion so we've got a dude who um his like girlfriend wife baby mama situation i'm not sure exactly what their relationships i don't remember but like he's now a crew member on the ship and he's got from lost michael okay the dude from lost i couldn't think i was like where have i seen this guy from but like where we get all this other stuff and it's like this has nothing to do with what we actually need to pay attention to to understand like what this movie's getting at. This is just to give us heart and soul, things to care about, and I don't think we really need to care it was about messy. them. Yeah, yeah, it was messy. Uh, no, and none how, of that worked either. No, it didn't work. It how didn't make long you care. did they spend on the fucking freeway? Way too long. The answer is way too long. They didn't yep. need to spend that much time on the fucking freeway. Like, I actually I, like that scene from like an action perspective. I thought that was like one of the more, scene. yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> but it was one of the more well executed action uh, scenes in the movie. But at the same time, you've got the weird albino digital ghost <laughs> twin yeah, yeah, yeah. that are chasing them, which I don't even know what to make of them. That was something else. I'm not sure how that happened or why it happened, but it did. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that part as far as the execution. But that's another scene where you get back to what I said earlier, where this movie went out of its way to keep Neo out of scenes because they made him way too powerful at the beginning of this movie when they could have just left him where he was at the end of the last movie. Or they could have done gone with another trope in movies, which is, okay, he tapped into this power this time, but maybe it was just in this moment where he was revived and he doesn't really know how to tap into it again. They could have done so many things with that. Instead, they went a step further, made Neo even more overly powerful at the beginning of this movie and had to write around the fact that he was too powerful to even be in this thing. And the only time it ends up working is in the next movie because they hinder him in some way, and we'll get into that. But... Like, they literally wrote themselves into a corner by making him able to fly and making him well, pretty much omnipotent. Let me let me, let me me interject one thing. I think in the movie, they say, where's Neo? Oh, he's doing his Superman thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's the exact argument we had for the DCEU. Yes. Why Superman was just an irrelevant character because he's just too powerful. He's too powerful. You yeah. have to, in order to make him interesting, you have to inhibit him. And that's the only time. And I don't think the second movie did a great job at, at the Neo exposition. I think the third movie did a much better job at, at making him interesting. This is Superman. Yeah. This is Superman from the beginning. Didn't make sense. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did in that scene. They they had to force uh, the moment where he can't get out of the Frenchman's house or the restaurant, wherever they were, just so they can keep him out of that scene uh, that goes way too long and make it interesting and make their actual actually be stakes and there's yeah. several scenes in this movie that there are no stakes and uh we can talk about it uh later as far as like the cgi and action portion of it but just from a logistical and plot 
and writing standpoint the fight against agent smith makes no sense too because he ends up flying away in the end he could have done that at any point instead of fighting any of them and it's just a waste of time it, it, this movie just creates its own problems and the the writing is the biggest problem and andy you're right they i think tried to do too much with the world building like kudos for trying to world build around this movie that probably should have only been one film but you can't load too much into it at one time if you need to uh, we've talked about this with numerous films whether it's like star wars with the sequel trilogy uh mo most recently if you need to make more films people are not going to be upset if you make more films and drag these things out if you can flesh out a better story I don't know why they don't do these things. It's more money in their pockets. Well, and exactly it's a more satisfied customer who's going to come back when in 15 years you introduce the Matrix 4. Lo and behold, they're doing that. But people are probably, even though they're going to be excited about this, there are still people who have a sour taste in their mouths from uh, 2 and 3 from this series. Listen, and I won't be surprised if they don't watch it. They didn't pump out two sequel Matrix movies in one year because it was a passion project yeah it was to make money i mean that's that's what these are for they they were banking on keanu reeves and the matrix name to make some cash on a 90 minute movie and i'm sure they did oh absolutely and there were aspects of it that i enjoyed but overall this movie was a mess uh funny i just wanted to look up the oh wait that's the the third one um rotten tomatoes to see what's going on with it it's matrix reloaded what we're talking about right now yeah um surprisingly it's a certified fresh and the audience score is 72 stop it yeah are I you think, serious yeah you're looking at these movies definitely through a like a a, a modern lens, lens 90s yeah. like these movies way like that that's the kind of movies they made back then. These are 90s action sci-fi uh which kind of like fell apart in in like the 2000s that's when it gets bad it's like early 90s cgi it's really bad now but it was like wow back then and then 2000s was weird it's because everyone decided to like push the envelope with movies that they had no business pushing the envelope with it was just too bad and so like yeah. the matrix revolutions uh tomato meter it's rotten it's 35 percent, but the audience score is still 60 so it's still more than half the reviews are still positive for the movie and I get it. I like I get the reasons, the things you can enjoy about this movie. Yeah. Like check those boxes on your list. The things you can dislike about those movies. Absolutely. Check those off as well. But people who like it aren't looking at those boxes. You probably just checked off. True. That's a very, um, very good uh, outlook on it. For sure. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's if, good perspective kind of, to bring into it. If I could just push back on the the because it kind of blends into the next topic which is the fight sequence but you tied it to the plot i also don't like the mr smith versus neo fight that happens because it's like way too long mr smith yeah it's like yeah. way way too long literally that was the moment leslie and i turned to one another and was like is this over yet like we need to just this end and we just started like yelling at it like please end please end um but from a plot perspective I liked it because this is the first thing that challenges the Superman Neo. So that's what he introduces us to is that he is he's not omnipotent. He is um, not omnipotent. He is, uh, in fact, 
uh, it is possible for him to lose. He only had to test that. The reason why he wanted to defeat Mr. Smith was so he could actually defeat him. But what he kept realizing was, no, I can't, no, I can't. And then finally, he, it broke him enough to realize, no, I got to get out of here. I can't. I'm not ready for this fight. Okay. That's an interesting uh, thought on it. And I, I get that for sure. But at least my perspective on most of the fights and the action sequences in this movie are they're just there to be there because they're expected to be there because there was action and good action in the first movies. And I thought they tried to top themselves way too much in these movies. And uh, they just wrote themselves into a corner in a lot of it. And they definitely, to your point, dragged them out for too long if we're talking about scenes that went on too long it's that scene it's the scene on the highway and it's the zion rave underground sex party scene that went on for seemingly forever uh, and i think that might have actually been the shortest one which the is crazy to scene me too. you know the, the frenchman yeah. scene for sure yeah i, I that th you're absolutely right i think a lot of this movie was just extended scenes so they could fill that 90 minute quota. Mm -hmm. this movie That's could have really been 30 minutes a hundred percent it could have been they could have made a really long sequel yeah you know what i mean like instead of making it two movies they could have made just a really long sequel and it would have been fine and it, uh, yeah it might have flowed better yeah but you know i think so let's let's get into i mean we've we've really beat the shit out of this movie let's let's get into uh the actual like action and cgi because i i have some mixed feelings about uh this category in particular being split between action and cgi because i really like yeah. the action i I'm hated the cgi <laughs> oh no yeah. that's a good uh, contrast to talk about though how like you like the yeah. action sequence but then the cgi they use yikes it was yikes i mean it and it was like the cgi i think we might have talked touched on this already but they really just tried to push the envelope beyond what they did in the matrix. And I just don't think the technology was there to keep up with it yet. I mean, when they no. were in those, like those uh, Pacific rim robots, it looked not good. It was like really jarring, really, really jarring. Um, and that's just one example. On the contrary, I loved the action sequences, and yeah, they were really, really long and way too drawn out. But I mean, it was always interesting to watch. You know, like the the, the Smiths versus Neo fight. It was never the same sequence of moves together. They were always they were introducing new uh, components. They were doing different choreography. Um, and that was consistent throughout the different fights. They were really interesting choreography. They were just too long. That was my big criticism about it. Yeah, too long. And uh, like you said, they really pushed the limits of the technology at the time. You know, especially with some of the moves they tried to pull in that, that's when you really see uh, the flaws in that CGI is when you've got him spinning with the pole in his hand yeah. in midair. Uh, he looks like Mr. Fantastic, just made out of rubber. Yeah. It's uh, comical at a certain point, but at the same time, it, it is fun because you, they're not lazy about it. It's really one of those things, like you said, like where you're feeling torn because you can like almost feel the love and passion that the people who choreographed and constructed this put into it. 
but there's also just like unfortunately the limits of the time and the limits of the technology uh put them in that boat plus the constraints of well we've got to make this over the top way better than the last movie and that's probably studio pressure to do that and that's really tough to meet those standards so it's a mix of a lot of things that go into it and it just makes for an overall poor product but you you can feel and see some of the good parts of that intertwined within it but overall the the bad sticks out like a sore thumb yeah to Uh, piggyback off of that ted i think some of the things you already mentioned this before the sequence of fighting on the highway it's actually pretty cool and i think it's well done um we've already said that it might be too long but actually i don't mind the cgi um that happens you know like when they're hanging over and about to fall off but they don't um from the back of the truck i I just uh, it was fun i i enjoyed how it all plays out it was like predictable in some ways like i could see where things were gonna go with it i like when movies do that where they don't you know disrupt what my expectations were they kind of like lead me to it and it's sad it's satisfying in the end again caveat being it was maybe too long uh, but the things that do bother me that's the problem with this movie is they just stick out so much like that's yeah. where i have issue specifically with these scenes the fight scene at the frenchman's place when they're in this like the what do you call it the entrance room or whatever and it's foyer. got the staircase foyer okay the staircase is going up and all the weapons I, I think I said this aloud. It was like the only reason why we're here right now when we see these weapons is to have this fight. That's the only reason why. Like, why are these weapons here? They're not here because that they would be here. No, they're here so we can have a, a crazy fight with all these fucking different weapons. Like, every Neo weapon. Ward pulls daggers to him. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, like, that. Too much for me. The, too much for yeah, me. Yeah, I agree. That was the worst of them, I think. Yeah, it's just a syndrome of the early 2000s, late 90s, where how can we make this so fucking cool? Like, everything has to be badass. That, and that's all everybody was thinking. And, uh, you know, kind of goes back to, I think, Zach's point earlier, where it very much is of its time. And uh, you can see uh, with the Rotten Tomato scores, why they were thought of more fondly than we're thinking of them right now because they weren't looked at in a critical lens because movies of the time were very much of that time where people were just looking for a movie that would push the envelope as far as what cgi could do uh what technology could do and there was little care especially in action movies for plot and i get that to a certain extent sometimes you watch an action movie just for the sake of having some action we're actually like in this wonderful age right now where we have a beautiful mix of both where we have brilliant cgi that meets the expectations and uh very rarely you can see the flaws in it but you can also have those action sequences with a lofty and full plot that makes sense and makes people feel satisfied so this this movie and the next movie are kind of uh finding uh the footing i guess for action movies in the early 2000s and leading to where we would eventually get so still like the first one it does lead us down the path to where we eventually get to but it's not as influential in a positive standpoint 
What's interesting is I, I was just doing a little bit of research while you were talking here. The second Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, is the highest grossing film of the franchise. And I would argue it's the worst film of the franchise. I can see that, though, because uh, The Matrix was so good and it probably uh, was one of those things that didn't do well probably on opening day and uh, was more of a word of mouth. You've got to see this movie. It's amazing. Keanu Reeves is awesome in it. There's awesome action. There's this incredible computer generated stuff going on. And then the expectations just built and built and built to the second one. And everybody was ready to see the second one like it was Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. I'm sure that had to have been uh, the lofty expectations that drove that. But uh, that happens all the time. Well, and clearly, like based on the tomato meter and the audience score for it that was true like if more than half the people left that theater on opening night and then subsequent showings and thought like yeah this is a good movie because that's what the tomato meter does it says it looks at critics and it says okay who had positive reviews what percentage of them uh so if something has more than 50 percent or 60 percent something like that what is it for is it 70 maybe i forget what the exact number is you said in the 70s yeah no i mean for like what the threshold for uh oh um uh, for fresh yeah i think 70s fresh yeah so like that tells you right there that it fit as we already mentioned the zeitgeist and how those are the expectations for those types of movies when you go into them and what you're gonna get that's why i think the third one is actually the worst one because it doesn't deliver the same way that the second one does it actually like it, things are in some ways they're darker you're not getting all of the cool super fun action sequences that are bright and shiny it's much more of a dark movie but we'll, we'll talk about that later yeah, one of the one of the I just wanted to kind of interject here one of the things that I found uh, another thing I found annoying about this movie and the franchise as a whole after the first movie is the amount of easter eggs they tried to force into the subsequent movies like i don't know if you noticed like how many times they tried to reference the first movie as like a nostalgic point like he got the spoon from the kid oh yeah yeah right right like it's just all sorts of stuff like that like i just i watched them all in pretty quick succession so it, maybe it stood out rememberies it's just like yeah it's just like you like this one right so here's a little tidbit for you yeah and it was just bad easter eggs it wasn't even like clever easter eggs yeah and probably four years later for people seeing it in theaters they're like the fuck does a spoon have to do with anything? <laughs> right, yeah. You're totally no, right. the bros were like, dude, it's the spoon! It's the spoon! He's doing the spoon! <laughs> Talked about this oh, on my blog. Dude, I was I was holding a spoon, and I swear, I swear, bro, I swear on my uh, my Nokia that uh, that uh, I bent it. It's amazing, My Envy 2, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what did you guys think about the uh, the acting in this? I'm going to hit on the music here in a minute. Oh, yeah, I, I want to talk about the you, music. I, I don't fucking hear about you, acting. What do you think about the, uh, the overall acting performances? We have a few new characters. You know, we see Neo pretty much half the movie, whereas it's supposed to like the full thing. And uh, 
the the first one uh, we see we have familiar Trini uh, characters in Trinity and Morpheus but how do you feel the uh, the acting chops were uh, I thought uh, the characters that were a little wooden like Neo in the first one were actually a little better in this one and I think that's uh, part of the design because I think uh, he knows himself a little better and he's a little more self-actualized in this movie so he acts he acts like he's Superman in this movie and he acts like he loves Trinity even though it doesn't make sense that he does uh, it doesn't really matter for us he does uh deliver as far as well in this movie i believe it even though they didn't really set it up in any way shape or form i believe it and you know what we also got to see in the zion scene uh his vinegar strokes essentially when he simultaneously i thought finished and also saw the vision of trinity oh. dying which was a pretty interesting part um, weird scene yeah yeah um so the question yeah. the, the question becomes there ted does he finish before it happens, while it's happening, or after it happens? I, I think it's one of those things where he starts and then it ruins it. You know, he, he's there and then he starts seeing that vision and then it just, you know, that come down from that high uh, is just <laughs> exponential and it just snaps him right back to reality like oh shit first of all that ruined my finish here ruined the that nut. gravity of the sun yeah <laughs> it, it ruined it and he also saw his girlfriend dying which is a double bummer i think and i think that's something that keanu reeves would probably say in real life double bummer double bummer bro but yeah I, I thought the acting was better in this one and uh it, they were kind of constrained by the the crummy story that they were stuck in but i thought the acting was better i thought the uh characters were a little more self-actualized and uh if if the movie had done a better job of it i actually would have been on board with the characters that they tried to force you to care about uh it's just they didn't do a great job of making you care about them because they just introduced them to you i think like the only connection that uh the character link who was played by mm -hmm. the guy from lost had to the original crew was he was the brother-in-law of uh i i don't remember their names like tank or like, yeah dozer i think the tank the, uh, and dozer i think like yeah. super just tough guy names for these dudes apparently uh, I don't know if those are their birth names. I'm really curious about that. I found myself wondering about that. Like, <laughs> were they born outside of the Matrix and were they named Tank and Dozer because people didn't really know what to name people because they haven't been people for so long? Or are those just nicknames? Uh, but it doesn't really matter. I just don't think they executed on actually getting you to care about those things. But I, I think overall the acting was better and... Uh, it just unfortunately falls flat overall because everything around it sucks. Yeah, I agree everything you said, Ted. I think some of the weak characters, though, make it. So if I had a, like, wavy acting in this film, I don't say, know if I'd say it was better um, than the first film. But the things that stick out to me, like the kid... I don't remember his name, but the one that's like obsessed with Neo because he saved oh, him. He's obnoxious. Yeah, his character does get explained a little more in the Animatrix, but um, I, I want to watch it less now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Uh, you don't want to character this, this character, but like I find it like he's annoying and the acting isn't good. I hate that when it's done in movies where they take a character who's supposed to be young and it's played by an actor who's clearly much older than the age of the person. Like I just don't understand why we can't have an actor that's close. It it to it takes you out. Like that chick's like 40 years old and she's supposed to be playing a 20 year old character you know or that dude in this instance he's like supposed to be i think 16 and he looks like he's 30 so like it's hard to like care for this character when i don't even believe he's the person he's portraying yeah no i mean that's a problem across the board and pretty much media in general yeah it happens often but that's like a problem with like a big budget film like this you know like they just yeah. they throw it away for things like that that in a really well done movie you believe those characters like an actual like oscar worthy movie where the every character you believe is that character these ones they play more like larger than life type of characters not down to earth can i tell you well, my favorite character yeah. yeah. Can I tell you my favorite character? Is Cornell West. Whoever oh, Cornell yeah, yeah. West plays is my favorite character. I Just love that guy. Essentially the Jedi Council member. Yes. Yeah. He's like it's yeah. Cornell West. The Mace Windu with a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was so happy to see him. I had no idea he was in this movie. Uh, so we watched the second one together and I stopped in the middle of the movie. I was like, who is that? Like, I couldn't, like, I was one of those out-of-place moments where we're like, that's not an actor. I know that face from somewhere. Who is that? I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck is his name? I'm like, I'm blanking. And I was like, no way, it's Dr. Cornell West. Like, what? What the F? He's actually in this movie? What? Yeah. What? And talk about taking people out of the movie. It, nothing takes you out of something more than somebody who does not belong as an actor within a movie it especially when they're not playing themselves if it's dr cornell west playing dr cornell west then that's okay maybe but he was what, what's his name <laughs> maybe he was maybe it's just a transposed version of cornell west in the matrix or you know what Tion. you you might be right i really don't know and i don't, I don't care know. well cornell you're gonna find out i don't care do you want to know Cornell West's name in The Matrix Reloaded? I, I do, okay. It's Counselor West. <laughs> that's just... That's lazier than everything else in this movie that's super lazy. But it's so fitting, because all their names. Tank, Dozer, West. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. That was... That's my only comment on the acting. I think overall it's bad. I, again, I can't I can't take Carrie Ann Moss whispering in my ear anymore. Keanu Reeves is just he's just so such an interesting actor because there are some some moments that I totally buy him, but for most of the movie, I'm like it's fucking corn. It's uh, Keanu Reeves. Like, it's well, I think Keanu Reeves has like two levels. He's either super serious badass or he's a total doof. And he played the total doof at the beginning of uh, the first Matrix really well, where he didn't really understand what was going on around him and was just so lost. And then he plays the total badass, which is essentially what he does in the John Wick films as Neo. But then the other layer, I guess, on top of that is that 
he's forced to love Carrie Ann Moss in these movies too. And that's really like the big driving point of Neo in these movies is more than anything, his love for Trinity, for whatever reason, we can nitpick that all day. Uh, that's his only motivation in these movies. And that's the only thing that gives him any stakes in the yeah. second movie is sure. can he make sure that she survives? I also don't like how he brought her back to life. Super ridiculous. Like, you can talk about how ridiculous kissing somebody back to life is, but at least it's like a common trope, I guess. And if we look at The Matrix as just a standalone, you can almost not care about it. But for then it to become a trope where they find super convoluted ways to bring each other back to life. And in this case, uh, sticking his hand in, grabbing the bullet, and then massaging the heart back to beating, uh, which definitely doesn't mess up anything else on the way to her heart when he just sticks his hand in there with total disregard for everything else as far as her anatomy is concerned. Apparently did that he? works. Well, to be fair, I mean, it's not actual anatomy. No, it's, it's just, not. You're right. It's digital anatomy. It's digital. But then in that case, how does it make any sense? Why it does he even have to do it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so weird and stupid. Yeah. You know my favorite movie where 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 the antihero kisses the hero back to life? Stop it. Rise of Skywalker. Don't even fucking that's say That's the one. It. Don't even <laughs> say yeah. it. All right, and that's the stream, everyone. Thanks for watching. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the Disenfranchised Podcast. We'll see you oh, next time. No. Bye-bye. Oh, no. All right. Sorry, right, we've upset right. Andy. All right, let me get back to the hating on this. Yeah, can we hate the music? Uh, can we please get yeah, to that? Let's get to the music. Can let's we, move on. Uh, Thank you. Music. What was this score? All right, I have to know your, your honest opinions. I couldn't really tell when we were talking about this before the podcast. I could not stand this score. Who wrote it? Music, Don Davis. Don Davis. The, that's yeah. the that's the first one. Who wrote and the second. Don it's all Davis. the same guy. Okay. Don Davis guy. phoned it in on this second movie. He phoned it in because it. So was did everybody incredible. else. He was just we, following the curve. We didn't talk the, about the first one. So you did you like the music in the first movie, Zach? Yeah, I thought it was really fitting. Actually, yeah. I, I think it's just to just talk about the music itself. I think it has highlights and des definitely some blights in it. Like I obviously like orchestral style music in films. Uh, I'm a big fan of Star Wars. Obviously makes sense that yeah. that would be the thing. But there's just so much of a mix of non orchestral music with this that I, I don't like it. I wish it stuck with one or the other. But in this particular film, very jarring. Not good. Not good. Not, Not good. good. No. The first movie I thought did a great job of blending soundtrack with score, with electronic music, with orchestral music. Did an awesome job. This just did not execute at all to the movie of what it's trying to portray and following a lot like they're like almost exclusively silence in dialogue uh the there was just pulsing all over the place when you know the ships were up and in zion it was just constant pulsing it, it was just not a good score for me i it, it and i usually don't frankly don't really notice scores all that much unless they suck yes and same ones sucked 
Yeah, that's my, I didn't really notice feeling. much myself, like I said beforehand, just because I was so focused on everything that was so wrong with what was going on in the movie. But that also maybe speaks to how bad it is, too, because I can remember things from the first movie, whether it's the orchestral scores or uh, the kind of rock tunes in them, the just very 1999 it fits that time it fits the movie it fits the action and those are exclusively to the action scenes i don't remember anything from this movie and i i think that speaks to how bad it is as well um that i don't remember it that i was so distracted by how bad everything else was that i can't even think of anything from this score i'll tell you you're not missing much it no. was rough yeah, it was rough. I really didn't like it. The The musical motifs carry on from the first movie. So he uses similar themes in both. It's just it becomes really weird and it doesn't seem to fit in the second one. Yeah, I agree. It's just the way he uses those themes. It's it's not fitting to the scenes that they're used in. It doesn't make sense with the action going on. It doesn't make sense with the the relationship between the actors it doesn't make sense with the, uh, the the emotion that you're supposed to feel from those scenes and i feel like if it was a better score we could get more out of those emotional scenes you know like the one in it um with with carrie ann moss and keanu reeves naked in a bed right like that's supposed to be a really evocative scene but it was a little laughable to me it didn't really hit the way i think it was intended to for me you know i maybe it hit different for you guys but it was it was not as it, it was supposed to be serious it i did not take it seriously at all i thought it was really weird um and so like just things like that like, there are ways to execute a score to to improve to expose the emotions in the in specific scenes and i don't think this did it i think it, it may have done the opposite if anything at all I agree with you yep. wholeheartedly, Zach, on that. That's that's that's. I've been dying to say that. Um, thanks for indulging me. Uh, I yeah, really absolutely this, really hated this score. <laughs> I thought it was no, it's really it's going to make me pay a little bit more attention to that because I usually don't notice scores unless they really stand out to me. So uh, I'm actually excited to go into other movies, uh, paying attention a little bit more to that, especially that this stood out to you so much. Well, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, it, it doesn't it, you're you really shouldn't notice a score all that much, right? You might notice the themes, the recurring themes and everything. But the idea of a score is to just enhance the viewing experience. Yeah, and flow with the movie. You shouldn't notice it that much. I noticed it a lot. It just stood out to me in a negative way. It, because it's so jarring. It takes you yeah. out of watching the movie. That's my big issue with Rogue One. I think there are similarities where, yeah. like, you have a, a style that doesn't necessarily fit what the scene is trying to get you to, to believe. And so there's, like, an emotional disconnect between the music choice and what the scene is portraying. And that happens frequently and i can't think of an example just because like it just happens 
throughout the whole movie i feel like uh even during the fr the fight sequences there's this theme uh which is reused but it's just because maybe the sequences are so long that the music becomes annoying like it's this very high-pitched brassy wave yeah. kind of sounds like wow wow but with like a, a trumpet sound and that and a da -da 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 -da, like very metallic-y too and it's just very long because these scenes are long so it just becomes Becomes annoying after a while where in the first one i think they were shorter those fight scenes yeah. so those themes didn't seem as annoying and we didn't like hear over and over again because a, a fight scene in this movie would like happen like okay the fight scene is going and then like 15 minutes later you're like all right this fight scene's still going and then like the music would have to like kind of play catch up but it never breathed it never gave you a, a chance to to step back and you know enjoy the ride instead you're like jarred the whole time yeah, I could not agree more. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the score kind of reminded me, you know, you're talking about like that, that, that repetitive fight scene music, right? You know, it's almost like a bad Mad Max score. Like, it's just almost sound effects mm -hmm. over music and score. It's just a, a repetitive sound effect over and over and over again. And it's not evocative in any way. It's just to be noisy to inflict that sort of emotion, uh, that noisy, busy, um, extreme emotion onto the viewer. So, well, it's anyway. like filling dead air for the sake of doing it, as if yeah. uh, people can't get through anything without sound in the background. It, if anything, some of those scenes might even be better off with nothing going on if uh, the action is so intense. Yeah, well, they tried that in some dialogue, and they they needed something there too. It was like in dialogue for silence sure. in dialogue. No, it shouldn't be though. They should have some hits, some movement yep. in dialogue. You can't just be silent the whole sequence. It would have helped if there was like a love motif between Neo and Trinity. Like if there was something that we heard every single time. Like maybe at their first yeah. meeting, we get this little motif it could be mysterious but like still soothing and give you the sense of love and longingness or something like that and then get developed throughout these movies but i don't think that much thought was put into it because this was never maybe supposed to go beyond one movie right right or was it thought I think to that they should have underlaid uh the sound that Neo made when he simultaneously finished and <laughs> saw her death very quietly underlay every scene that they're together. I agree. That yep. would have been great. Yeah. That's it. That's what we're looking for. Hell yeah. <laughs> it might have worked. You might have been into it. You've been like, damn, this is hot. I just wrote the score for The Matrix 4. Thank you. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Don Davis is writing it, so we're in for the same yeah. exact. Uh, th they'll find me on Venmo. Don't worry, they'll pay me. Oh my God! All right, uh, guys, we're uh, we're we're pretty long on this stream here, so let's jump into um, let's jump into uh, the third movie, yeah. uh, The Matrix Revolutions. Ted, give us a breakdown of The Matrix Revolution. Well, The Matrix Revolutions, and I, I forgot to mention this part at the end of Reloaded, by the way. Neo's in a coma at the end of that movie because uh, yeah. uh, for some reason he can stop Sentinels with his mind, which is cool, but obviously not explained. So he ends the movie we'll in a coma. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. 
um, having stopped the Sentinel with his mind. There's also another character in a coma uh, that we'll find out is a character that we know, but we don't. We know that, but the characters in the movie don't know that at the time. Uh, but while in the coma, Neo starts off at the train station, which is a kind of purgatory, I guess, within the Matrix. Yeah. And uh, that kind of uh, goes into a lot more of the confusion as far as uh, where the line is between programs and uh, people in the Matrix, because there's a family who are programs and they have a daughter which confuses the ever-living fuck out of me. But either way, uh, that's kind of a thing. They talk for a little bit. Uh, he's planning on getting on the next train with them, and uh, the train conductor recognizes him and tells him that he can't come. So later on, when uh, Trinity and Morpheus and the rest of the team figure out where Neo is, they go in to rescue him, and uh, it's really not that difficult, I guess. Well, they got to go uh, back to Frenchie. Right, that's right. Well, that, that's what's not difficult. So one of the things I don't like about this movie, I'll just touch on it quickly, is that they almost set up a cool scene where they're going to have an all-out fight, and then they just decide, or, or actually have a, a mission and stakes to get to Neo, and they end that with Trinity just pointing a gun in the Frenchman's face, which uh, kind of deflates that entire scene. So yeah, after they meet with the Frenchman, they get to the train station, they get Neo, they jack him out of the Matrix, and everybody is uh, preparing for war against the machines. So a uh, big plot point in the rest of the movie is... Uh, the people of Zion are fighting against the machines because they're coming, and uh, a lot of sentinels are coming to get them. And uh, I, I guess Neo, he decides to kind of go on his own path and uh, try to stop this from happening in his own way. Nobody really believes in him other than obviously his crew. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of falling apart here, guys. I'm getting tired. Uh, I don't know if yeah. you guys want to pick up where I left off. Well, so I, I can I can fill in a couple of blanks. So when Neo comes out of the Matrix, or I, I guess even prior to that, so it ends with him, the, the last movie ends with him talking to the, the architect, which really sets up his journey mm -hmm. in Revolutions. And what is the, his journey? Uh, we find out throughout the movie, but he basically goes off separately with Trinity from the rest of the crew. They both have the same, I guess, uh, uh, end game in mind, which is to stop the Sentinels, but they're doing it in sort of different ways. The, the, the main crew, which is Morpheus's ship um, with the captain, who's kind of a dickhead, um, who won't let the uh, woman driver kind of call the shots. They're all going on one. Uh, and then Neo and Trinity are taking the other ship to go to the... I, I don't even know what what is that exactly that they're going to. I couldn't really... The Robot thought. City. The Robot the, City, yeah. The Robot City. So it's just like the, the main motherboard or power supply for the entire world. It's kind of the headquarters of uh, the Sentinels, essentially, uh, where they run the Matrix. But I guess it seems what I couldn't understand is exactly how big that is. Like, is it for the entire world? Is it for this 
this particular section or segment of the world what is this like exactly it's talked about in the animatrix but think of it as just like the this the computer mainframe so for the purpose of this movie don't you know worry like what the location of it how big and all of that it's just like the computer mainframe that's where they got to get to where does the matrix exist like yes they plug into it but like we're on the internet right now from our own locations but we're all connected to the internet and where is the internet the internet is this distributed thing of network devices these computers essentially in all these different locations so i'm not really in one location i'm distributed amongst all these other smaller computers well now take the motherboard of the world so now take all those computers central hub of the internet is al gore's house and al gore exactly right in his basement um next to the dungeon room where he keeps the man bear pig right all right I, i i kind of got all that i just wasn't sure exactly like the magnitude of what they were where they were going i kind of understood it based on the god uh machine that we hear at the end yeah yeah yeah. get it but um it wasn't super clear exactly what it was ready the easiest answer zach is it's the robot analog of zion yeah but i guess zion is one particular place that we're focused on and so is more zions uh, well, that's I think that no, that's the whole premise of the movie. That's the last thing of humanity. There are like a little a couple things like there's a surface group, um, but they end up getting killed uh, in the Animatrix. And uh, we don't know of anyone else. I don't think like people are like you're either on Zion or in Zion or you're not. Um, you're in the Matrix. So it's like the last bastion of humanity. Yeah, like that's it. And same thing with like the the robots, essentially. So they've kind of what they've done is they've gone from being all over the planet they were forced into this one location and then they kind of destroyed the rest of the world and ended up going underground and creating the the battery with the the humans Uh, we are forgetting a very important plot point here which is those characters we need to pay attention to not all the the ancillary bullshit characters but it's the oracle we forgot about that that's a vital piece of this is the oracle tells them what they need to do finally neo shows up and he goes listen bitch i'm done with the all these unanswered questions give me some real answers now tell me exactly you know what's going on and so that reveals what's happening where she is telling him you you know what you got to do you know you have to go you got to do these things so that's like the the motivation for everything which kind of leads me to my question at the beginning of this too was do you feel that the franchise answers the question there's more value in choice than destiny right because i think that the oracle through this whole thing is trying to get the point across that your determination is what makes the difference but i don't know that it executes on that no not not determination not that like you you want to you want to go and do it um it's the fact that you acknowledge that you must do it there's a difference not that you keep trying because you can keep trying without actually the it's not like the drive because that's what you're referring to is like the motivation to do it but it's the act of realizing no the important thing here is that i i am choosing to do it that it is it is the the self not set forth by all these like the um 
the Frenchman says, where he thinks he always sees his causalities, right? He doesn't see the why, he just sees the cause for things. You know, the, is it the intention, blah, blah, no, he's just, there's cause and effect. Uh, but Neo demonstrates the opposite. He has this radical self-actualization that the most important thing about being human is that we make choices. And when we acknowledge that we have the power to make choices, that's where we unlock our true potential. So where it isn't that there's this like the question is answered determinism versus free will. I guess my point is the Oracle kind of pushes back on that premise. Yeah. She's 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 almost like, well, you're going to do it because you're destined to do it. I'm just here to get you there. Yeah, and that's what happens in every iteration. So that's the what ties back to the second film. So here, like this is like the the un, the unfolding moment of what's exactly happening in these movies is that the architect reveals the story's been repeating over and over again. You're this is a loop that we essentially created. We knew there was going to be an, an abnormality. It's a f- inherent flaw of my almost nearly perfect system I created is that there will always be this dissenter. So rather than try to prevent the flaw from occurring, we just kind of take advantage of it. So you let the flaw go all the way out and fold and fold and fold until you can plan for something, which is the culminating event of Scion being attacked, where he can, the architect tells Neo in the instance of the chosen one, hey, if you choose to go through and try to defeat me, Zion's going to get destroyed. Or you kind of just give up, we hit the reset button, and we'll do this all over again on the next cycle. So that's the difference, is that in this instance, in this iteration of the cycle, number whatever we're on, the Oracle has is aware of that flaw. And she goes, okay, so we just have to exploit it. I have to somehow convince Neo, this chosen one here, that once he realizes that he does have the ability to choose and that's the powerful thing that sets him apart, that's what's going to break this machine. That's what's going to end this cycle. And it's wrapped up in that final last bit scene there where the Oracle's like talking, did you know it was going to happen? No, I didn't know it was going to happen and that's the point, but I knew if I believed in him, he would do it. I chose to believe in him. I chose that that I would I would trust this guy, the one, to do the right thing. But again, that's his destiny, right? He's the one. You believe in him to do it. It's not just anybody that can do it. It's him that can do it. That's his destiny. So where does choice come into it? Sure, he makes the choices that he's destined to make, arguably, but he is the only one that could do it. Trinity couldn't do it. Correct. couldn't do it. Because he is he is the flaw in the machine. So that's why. So the deterministic part of this, like you can't get rid of determinism. You're still always going to have cause and effect. It's that's the difference. So just because he was destined to do it, that's and that's why I don't like the answer either. So I, I said like they do answer it, but I don't necessarily like it. It's that we we're kind of in this this mix of things where we do have free will. But ultimately, like, we we kind of don't in some essence. Like, that's the 
the beautiful part about humans is we're this messy thing. The robot, the robots are this very logical. They follow the rules. They don't really have a choice. And when they do have a choice, it seems to not really work out for them. Or like Agent Smith says, like all those human qualities, love you just you're experiencing that. That's a, um, a fleshy human thing that really doesn't even matter and whatnot. But that part is what makes you human and that's the same thing with choice the ability that we have choices even though we're trapped in this deterministic world we have this little bit of free will that we get to exercise and it's all about how we choose the actions that we take because he yes he was destined he was the chosen one to be the the flaw in the system but the flaw was always going to resort to him going back and repeating the cycle. It's kind of like this chance thing because he chose that he broke the cycle. So the deterministic part is kind of undercut because we're led to believe he's the chosen one. So it's fate, but it's really not fate that the deterministic part was designed in the system. Neo was literally chosen because it's a flaw in the system. I don't know. I, the, the whole, that, that, that particular theme, obviously didn't land quite as clearly for me as it did for you and 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 that's okay i i I think your explanation was extremely helpful in trying to understand the theme that they were trying to portray um but it it didn't get me there on my own well no not these movies were not good at that no so yeah really interesting um take on that I, i i can definitely appreciate with that explanation where your where your head's at in terms of the the execution of that theme and maybe not execution but thought yeah definitely not the execution no yeah. I, I don't like how it ends in that way right. like where it's like oh so he was the chosen one all along so we knew this but the fact that he chose to do these things is what makes it kind of breaks it but you have to just accept the fact well no he's only the chosen one because that's what the system did it it had a flaw so it kind of made him the thing so that's the prophecy kind of yeah. explains it away and then he gets his his eyes burnt up. Yep, gets that's a, the thing that happens. We left that out. Yep, and then, and then he starts to see everything in in machine, essentially. Yeah, and uh, he loses his sight uh, versus Agent Smith in the real world, who hijacks uh, an actual person by right. infecting uh, his Matrix avatar. Um, right. So that, that's. I did really like that from the second movie that they inserted that plot point that was going to be uh, actualized in this movie where he tracked down one person who lived in Zion amongst everybody within the Matrix, which must have been difficult to do, and uh, infected and hijacked him. The logistics of like how, I guess, don't really matter. But it's really interesting that he, a machine, was able to get out into the real world and uh, fight Neo one-on-one in a different arena where uh, the stakes are the same, but also, uh, I guess, the, the way they are able to fight is different, even though Neo seemingly has abilities outside of the Matrix, uh, from what you can see with his ability to uh, stop the Sentinels. Yeah, no, he I mean, does. yeah, definitely. But obviously not on the level that he does within the Matrix. So it's more of an even fight where it's a man versus man rather than super powered being within the Matrix versus a program that can really only give him a fight if there are 
many upon many of him fighting him at the same time. So I really like that dynamic in this movie, even though a lot of it wasn't executed the best. Yeah, I mean, here's the difference in the in that in that real world fight. I mean, you mentioned the stakes, and I feel like the stakes are actually very different in that fight for Agent Smith and Neo. Agent Smith is the he, he infected, right? He's the virus that infected that avatar that now became the real life human, and so that that virus leaked into the real world. But True. Agent Smith is still a virus in the Matrix. No matter what happens to him through that avatar, that's not going to change his end goal in the Matrix. However, for Neo, that the stakes are exponentially yeah. higher, um, given that his real world is his world, whereas the Matrix is Agent Smith's world. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the I found that actually incredibly interesting. Um, that dynamic because really Agent Smith had nothing to lose uh, the, or at least the, the the infected avatar had nothing to lose other than trying to stop Neo from doing what he's doing obviously um, but it wasn't going to like harm the virus uh, uh, the Matrix Agent Smith virus uh, in any way so Neo had to win that in order to, to be able to proceed on his journey yeah, I definitely misspoke when I said the stakes were the same. So uh, thanks for correcting on that one. Um, yeah, that that is definitely uh, an interesting part of that fight, for sure. Definitely raised the stakes more than anything else in the second movie ever did. And that's kind of why I like this movie more, because it felt like the stakes were real this time. The second movie seemed like such uh, an impasse uh, a go-between between the first movie and the third movie where you knew we were eventually going to get here and uh that they made it even worse by lowering the stakes within the second movie like right in front of your face on top of the fact that you knew if there was going to be a third movie we'd get there eventually anyway so I really enjoyed the fact that, uh, specifically in this fight, but also in general, that this movie had higher stakes, that it felt more real, like something was actually there to be lost as opposed to the second movie. And that's really where like the difference in enjoyment comes for me. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, guys. Uh, I, one more thing to add to this plot discussion, just to tie it together why... I, and same thing to your point, Ted, too, why I like this movie better than the second one, is it ties together the pieces that were introduced in one and two. So, like, two threw up all this stuff at us, was like, what's going on here? There's so many more things to know about than I knew in the first one. This third movie gave us some more important answers. So, for specifically plot stuff, not everything, but how we see that agent smith is the opposite it's even told in this thing like yin and yang the opposite of neo he's the maybe the one the chosen one version in the matrix side of things because this has never happened in any of the previous iterations agent smith didn't go crazy thus why crazy god dude at the end of this movie is like yeah i'll let you do this so you can stop this guy from fucking our shit up so you've got the neo and mr smith it gives us the answer to like what's going on with the oracle she's kind of like the agent or the the opposite to the architect the architect plans out this thing meticulous detail it's near perfection but 
the Oracle, who you think is all about like the future and knowing things, it's also about like what you you don't know. Because if you aren't sure of your choices, she can't see that future. So that's the idea is like she realizes that, you know, you might have planned everything perfectly, but you can't even be aware of the things. You won't know what's going to happen in the future if you don't believe in the things that you're supposed to or what's like the that you, you have the ability to do those things which is a cool point and then you have the kind of the the opposite characters where you get to see okay zion's this thing with people and caring but you also get to see the caring about the people in the matrix the programs because we get introduced to the little girl who is the daughter of that person we saw in the last movie and why we want to care about the programs is that they're kind of like us they're the analogs of humans in this virtual world created by the robots so i like how that's what this movie does is it gives you a nice story of those things that we want to pay attention to the the main characters the overall plot and the overall theme it, i think it does a nice job of giving me things that are satisfying that ties it all together this this movie definitely had a way better balance of all of that than uh, reloaded for sure uh, you know I think the original Matrix set the tone for the series and then the the subsequent movies just kind of took that story to another level just totally redirected it and moved it to the kind of the end game and I think that this movie really did a good job at tying up some of those loose ends um, like you were saying throughout those, those story threads that messy as they might have been they did really tie it up to a fairly satisfactory point for me i agree so um so that's uh that i think that's our plot discussion let's let's breeze through this here I, you know i think for at least for me guys the the action in cgi in this is pretty reminiscent of the second movie uh cgi really didn't change at all i mean they were released in the same year so we had kind of the same technology available in making the movie as well as really the same cgi aspects in the movie itself i mean there was really not a whole lot of environment change outside of maybe the robot city that would change at all the the technology and cgi in the movie um, and i do it, I'll just jump in something I really like about this is it uh, similar to the last point I made about making connections to the previous movies how Neo's like robot vision in the real world um, is like anal an analog to his ver vision in the digital world of the Matrix so like how he sees the numbers you know of the Matrix yeah. and things like that that's what this kind of is too and I like that visual element that they added that we see it now from the real world and you no know, didn't really do anything groundbreaking CGI wise with it but they had to use CGI so I liked what they did with it yeah and I actually like that uh, from a storytelling standpoint too because it's reminiscent of uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched the uh, Netflix series uh, the Daredevil Netflix series but uh, the way they show that he's able to see, so to speak, is uh, kind of like an infrared spectrum where he can kind of see and sense these things on a different wavelength than what everybody else can. So it's not just that he's got hypersensitivity as far as hearing and smell and everything like that, but it's also he's got an extra sense that's on top of the senses that we already have maybe arguably better than the 
normal sense of sight that we have and uh you know especially in a world that's dominated by machines you can make the argument that it's more valuable for neo to be able to see the machines the way he does than uh to be able to see traditionally especially as we get uh closer to the end of the movie so i really like that uh from a storytelling standpoint and i could see where i know daredevil was the thing before uh obviously these movies but i think maybe where that tv show got kind of their ideas of how to portray that uh they might have gotten a little bit of that from the influence of this movie so i really enjoyed that aspect of it that's a good point. That's a that's an added component I really hadn't considered just based on the you know the CGI conversation. But that yeah. component is 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 really important to the overall plot. You know, it's a little little cheesy to see the the you know the, the headband over the eyes. Um, right. But, uh, but but you know, other than that, yeah, I think that uh, I think that, I think it it is a good component that you're talking about. Uh, anything else? I mean, I think the only other thing I wanted to touch on here is the action is relatively the same, but I think a lot better paced than yeah. the last movie. The pacing of of everything, you know, just in terms of the the, the duration, uh, the frequency, just made everything feel so much smoother in this movie. Uh, I didn't like the Sentinel stuff, the action in it. I don't know if that would classify as like the. Well, I guess we were calling it like the action sequences and whatnot. Yeah, it, yeah that's a it, good just because it's a lot of CGI, right? It's like pretty much you get the weird robot things. So the whole like battling for Zion, I don't really care for. Um, but the Agent Smith fight with Neo at the end, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I like yeah. everything they're doing. I like how, again, it brings back elements from the previous movies, how like they go into the the one building and it's very reminiscent of the training room that they're in um, in the first one. So that overall fight sequence, like, really, really good in my opinion. Yeah. And I think uh, even though they used, obviously, a lot of the same uh, level of technology in this movie that they did in the previous one, because it was made in the same year, I think they learned from the mistake of having a lot of the fights in the second movie in daylight where things are a lot easier to see as far as flaws and instead in this movie uh whether it's talking about the sentinel fight and i do agree with you andy it's not the greatest but at least the sentinels are dark themselves and everything around it was pretty dark as well so the flaws are a little better hidden i think if that were in daylight or some kind of lighting it would look a lot worse and the same goes for the agent smith versus neo fight where it's torrential downpour in the dark and it's only the one agent smith versus him i think where the fight from the second movie with agent smith really started to go off the deep end was when they added so many agent smiths and then that's when it got into the rubbery looking uh cgi characteristics when it's just the one it shifts the focus to just one-on-one -on -one. it's easier to animate and it just looks a lot cleaner i think and I, I think that dark aesthetic worked a lot better in hiding the flaws even though it's not great i think it looks a lot better because of that uh just that simple thing to hide a lot of the flaws that they had in it yeah i agree i like that the fact that never even thought of that 
being daylight and how important lighting is to make something look realistic. So in the last movie, it subtracts. In this case, when it's in the dark, it adds to it. Right. Uh, Zach, you um, want to talk about the music? Uh, I don't really have much to add here, actually. Um, I mean, it's the same kind of the same score aspects of the, the, the movie prior. Um, I don't think there was really I didn't notice it as much, which I guess is good. Um, but there were a lot of pulsing. And I think it's it's also because a lot of the movie was just really, really loud. Um, yeah, and I guess that's a flaw of the, the series in general. The action scenes were so, so loud and busy and noisy. Yeah. That you really didn't get a lot of musical motifs in them. But other than that, I mean, it's like I said, it's pretty similar to the, mo- the movie prior. Not too much to add there. We have a, basically the same cast of actors, Cornell West being, uh, again, the best. Reprises his role. Of those actors. <laughs> Counselor uh, West. <laughs> um, and that's my take on it. Uh, I really, I think this movie was largely inoffensive. I think it tied up a few loose ends that needed to be tied up let's if you guys don't mind let's go because we're running really long on this podcast let's jump to the ending uh what did you guys think of the the ending of the series here like uh well not it's not done yet what are you talking all right of the three movies then we'll get into four thank you of the three movies two sentences what did you think of it you can go ahead andy i'm thinking wait say that what's the question again zach the, so the 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 ending of the movie, the, the way everything wraps up in uh, revolutions. Uh, what did you think of the ending and how it tied to the rest of the story? Um, I liked everything up until the final final sequence between the Oracle and um, the Architect, the architect. Um, with the little girl. Thought that was totally unnecessary. Didn't need it. I think we could have speculated about Neo and what his uh, fate was after the final fight without her being like, who knows if I'll see him again? Like, that's the thing she doesn't know. She like she wants to believe it, but she can't yet or something, which kind of contradicts like her whole thing about like we can't know the things that we we don't want. And, like, you would think if she likes Neo and wants him, she would be able to use her power and see, but she can't. So that little bit aside, I just didn't like it. I don't think it fits. It's, like, bad CGI there with, like, the whole sky thing, the little girl, just the acting isn't good. So that part takes me out. If we had ended the movie without that final sequence, that scene there, I think I would have been like, yeah, that was a really good ending to this movie. Yeah, just imagine the end of the movie zion celebrates yeah neo is flat on his back in the machine city and that's it like that's the end of the movie i feel like that would be a perfect ending like the war is over we don't know what happened to neo but even the part where like the robot thing like starts to like take him away someplace i like that too like well, yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah that's not not that he's just laying there but like we see him like move in like they're yeah, getting carried yeah. away okay just yeah i want to keep that part because I, I like that yeah i think it's really cool i think it's, it's very speculative what yeah. do you think happened um who knows i think he's the like the savior of everyone so he's gonna be kind of like worshipped in a way 
I think they took him away to grow his hair out so he could continue to make John Wick movies at the same time as uh, The Matrix 4. Uh, that's that's a actually call. a really good, smart idea. Um, <laughs> You'd also look great with a beard, Neo. <laughs> well, I, probably. You're you're actually probably not wrong. It makes him look older, too, so it adds to the fact that time has passed. Um, I Just a little quick point here. I think the architect and the god figure are two different uh, entities within the robots. Uh, the, the god robot versus the architect in the Matrix. Yeah, I don't think it's the same person. I think I, they so are. You don't think that the architect is the uh, avatar for the god robot? Correct. Yeah, I think okay. it's the god robot is a completely separate entity who doesn't necessarily like he might not even be in the Matrix. He could live outside the Matrix entirely. Um, but he the architect is the guy that built the Matrix. Like so it's just like a, that was his purpose. So this robot, his purpose is to like be the leader of everyone, not just the people in the Matrix, but the robots that live outside of the Matrix. So that's President Robot. Yes, which is talked about in the um, Animatrix. Renowned Animatrix. I'll never know. Never Ted, know. Why don't you go ahead on your point here? Let's skip over the Animatrix talk. Uh, yeah, I, I just think overall that this movie, and maybe it's because it comes off of such a bad movie in the second one, it actually surprisingly wraps things up very well uh, with a neat little bow and uh i i just thought too that uh the way the pacing was done and uh the way that this movie didn't focus too much on action uh for too long and again i think this might just be a symptom of watching these movies back to back but i thought it just did such a better job than the second one and wrapped things up in a nice way i, I don't know i I agree with Andy. You could definitely do without that very last scene with the Oracle and the architect and the little girl uh, because it takes away a lot of that nice speculation that you get that's kind of reminiscent of the very first Matrix movie where that leaves off on kind of a speculative note. Like, is he the one? Is he not the one? It sure looked like he was the one, but we don't know. And could have just left it right there. Uh, movies can gain so much from just leaving questions in the air for the audience uh, as long as they're not things that are just so integral to the story that you can't have the story it, it's fun to have that type of thing and it really leaves people talking about it afterward and thinking about it further and then you can have a nice revisit to it when you come back with another movie 15 years later it is what it is. It ended the way it did, and that's fine. Uh, I thought overall it wrapped it up pretty well, though. All right, so let's talk about it. So Matrix 4 is coming out. Was it? Is it this year? 2021. Well, it was supposed to be. Was it supposed to be this year? Did it get postponed, or was it supposed to be next year? Uh, I think it was always planned for 2021. 2021. I think so. 2022, excuse me. That might have been pushed oh, really? back then. Yeah. Man, I thought it was really well, Okay. Well... So in that uh, in that vein, so we know what's happened thus far in the story with three movies. What happens next? What happens in the Matrix Four? First of all, does anybody know anything about the film? Like, are there are there any plot details all. released? Um, if there are, I don't know anything about them. 
I only speculated on uh, the stuff that I know about how uh, Keanu Reeves is going to look in the movie. Uh, I think there was uh, a still as far as uh, how he's supposed to look. There was a set photo of him, uh, and it's very close to how he looks in pretty much every movie right now, whether it's uh, Bill and Ted with long hair, uh, mm-hmm. clean shaven, or just uh, John Wick where he's got the beard with long hair. Uh, generally just long hair Keanu is a great Keanu for everybody yeah I definitely think they're they're feeding into that success of John Wick for sure Uh, I just checked to see if there's anything there have been like things reported from various people involved throughout like the entire development process which was before the movie was even greenlit so like you know pre-production things like that Uh, But we haven't gotten anything truly relating to the plot other than the fact that it's going to be, you know, obviously in the future. Yeah, they're like still in negotiations with people, apparently, for their roles. Like characters who died in the first movie actually coming back somehow, apparently. Um, Yeah, we're going to hate that for sure. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be unprecedented with this series. Yeah, and depends on like how they do it, of course. Like wait and see. I I don't know. Actually, this is like something where I don't see what they're gonna do next with it because they left it so open ended. I can speculate that perhaps you've got some outside party to this, so we have this cast of characters. But who knows? Maybe there's a, a character that we were introduced in these movies that can be like a new antagonist to like respark this war. Uh, if there's anything to draw from that last scene that I don't like in the movie, it's where they talk about like, Oh, well you think there's going to be peace. And then he's like, for now we'll keep it like, Oh, so I mean something could happen. So maybe there will be some kind of tension that breaks open again, some kind of spark that's going to reignite the war between humans and robots. I can tell you that the Frenchman's going to be in it. Oh, uh, that's unfortunate. He's got to be. This character's in it. Not Neil a Patrick Harris is in it. What? He's, he's credited. Wow. No Morpheus. Oh, yeah, and it, yeah. it was supposed to be coming out in May of 2021 and got delayed to April of 2022 because of COVID. So, I mean, I really have no uh, major speculation about this movie. I have no idea what it could be. I'm sure that they'll... Be, they'll lean on nostalgia pretty heavily and I'm sure that I'll criticize it for that um, but spoons galore yeah right all I'm saying is that I am actually looking forward to a Matrix 4 after seeing all of these movies regardless of how I felt about the last two specifically number two it, it, uh, it it's got me excited you know like I said the um, uh, the 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 last movie really tied up everything it was really a satisfactory movie for me and i wasn't expecting it to be after number two so given that uh going into number four should be pretty cool yeah it's hard to speculate on what's going to happen in the next one because things weren't left very open-ended i'm excited too i i agree even though the second movie was balls in my opinion one movie was great and another movie was okay and that's good enough to get me excited for something uh, that's going to have a fourth movie in the series. And uh, I like a lot of the actors in it, too, so that's exciting as well. What are your thoughts on an Animatrix 2? I'll never watch well, it. 
I gotta tell you, I, I, I really appreciate the insights that you could provide from the Animatrix. I'm yeah. really glad that you watched it so that I didn't have to. Just to know that there are some answers out there. Um, that being said, I don't care enough about those answers to go search them out. Yeah, I don't want yeah. a second Animatrix, just to be clear. We don't need another okay. one. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, and uh, all joking aside about the Animatrix, uh, Zach's right. It did uh, lend itself pretty well to uh, helping the conversation go along, uh, specifically because there were some answers to the questions that we had. Uh, so that that was nice, Andy, and I appreciate you watching it. Oh, you're welcome. You know, my childhood was probably like fucked up partially from watching it when I shouldn't have been watching it because uh, like of how that. weird it is. It's a sacrifice that had to be made. Well... That'll wrap I, up. Huh? I was just, you're, you're on the right track. I said, what do you think? I think this, you're, <laughs> you're in the same mindset I am. Go all for right. it. I'm flashing the go. light. I'm flashing the We're light. We're all very tired, everybody. <laughs> uh, well, that's going to wrap up the Matrix series. Uh, so thanks to anybody who joined us. I saw a few people in the chat. That was great. There are definitely some great things to take from this series uh, that influence cinema going forward and uh th that's definitely something valuable but obviously it wasn't without its flaws and we expounded upon those a lot uh let's unplug and uh get a little bit more grounded for our next series uh we're we've decided that we're going to talk about uh indiana jones which will be exciting so that'll be a a four movie series uh three of which i've heard are very good one of which i've seen is very bad uh the last one so i'm excited to watch uh the first three i watched the first one recently and i'm excited to uh watch the other two after that and uh hopefully not have as bad memories as i do about the crystal skull I'm looking forward to that one. That should be fun. I, I've seen all of them in you know, bits and pieces, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them all kind of in a row. Do we include the uh, the TV show as a part of it? Young Indiana Jones? No. no okay. Young yes. Indiana Jones? No, Young yeah. Indiana Absolutely not. Did you say yes? Who said yes? <laughs> uh, are you not committed to this? No, not that Andy much. Andy watched the Animatrix. I'm going to watch the series, and yeah. I'm going to add some lore Okay. okay, what if each time we do one of this, uh, these things, one of us, at least one of us, has to watch the, like, kind of sort of ancillary material that's not related? That's I'll like not... Yeah, fuck you. No, 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 that's not fair. Okay, we then you have to do watch Ewoks. No, then you have to watch the Ewoks movies. I would watch okay. that. Sure. Okay. Damn it. All right, I wanted... <laughs> <sighs> All right, this awesome. has gone on too long. Thanks, We're done? Guys. We're done? All right, I'm done talking about these movies. They're not that good. I'll see you guys later. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, find us on most podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Franchise Flicks for new episodes and other content. You can follow Andy on Twitch and Instagram at Darth Buckman and follow Zach on Twitter at underscore Zach Russo. Talk to you next time.